every child that minute that, that they enter your school building deserves a high-quality education. And they don't have the luxury of waiting on you to get it right. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Today's podcast features a conversation Tom had with Dr. Philip Hickman, Superintendent of Columbus Municipal School District in Mississippi. Before coming to Mississippi, Dr. Hickman was the Assistant Superintendent of the Houston Independent School District, which is the seventh largest school district in the United States, with over 210,000 students. And there he was a mentee of former Superintendent Terry Greer. When he was ready to move into a superintendent role himself, despite offers from several large school districts, Dr. Hickman took his mentor's advice and decided his personality and personal goals best aligned with a smaller district where he could have a more intimate impact. He chose Columbus Municipal School District in Mississippi, a high-poverty K-12 district with 4,500 students and all of the elements he was looking for in a challenge. For the past three years, Dr. Hickman has been working to bring change to the district through innovative technology and tools, and through his work, Columbus has become proof that personalized learning and innovative education can happen anywhere. Let's listen as he shares with Tom more about the work they're doing in Columbus. Dr. Philip Hickman, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Well, thank you, Tom. It is great to have you on the podcast. We we shared a podium a couple years ago, and I've been such a big fan of your work. Um, this this call came about because you sent out a, a really great ebook that summarized the uh, personalized learning approach that you've taken uh, in Columbus City Schools in in Mississippi, uh, and we'll include that in our show notes. Um, but you're doing such extraordinary work there. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, start out by telling us how, how you got to Columbus. Well, I, um, I I was in Houston Independent School District under Terry Greer as assistant superintendent. And, you know, he really, uh, as we talked about before, he mentors a lot of uh, superintendents. And, and one of the things, you know, I was I had offers to go to uh, a lot of different districts, and, and especially large districts. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Dr. Greer talked about my personality, he said, I, you know, I know you really won't, you know, as while you're still in your 30s, you would like to have a, a more of an intimate uh, impact on a district. And so I would suggest that you, you know, look at smaller districts. Uh, one of the things that I, I looked at at Columbus Municipal School District is, is uh, you know, the, the level of, of poverty that it had and the level of dysfunction and uh, underachievement. Um, that it had and, and a lack of resources, so it was it was a challenge. I, I felt that I really wanted a challenge and really wanted to help uh, a future of kids in that aspect. And you can go far fast in a um, in a small district. You can, in in many respects, do do better and more important work uh, than in a big district where you you just almost have to take uh, a portfolio strategy. So. Uh, it sounds like uh, Columbus is a, a high-challenge community. Tell us about the community and the district. Well, I, you know, I can tell you from uh, a lot of aspects that I didn't know the level of complexity and the level of issues uh, just looking at data uh, and talking to people. So when I, when I came here, um, I really was surprised uh, at the level of neglect um, and, and the lack of advocacy for children 
Um, so, for instance, from a technology standpoint, you know, I would walk up to builders and ask principals to show me, uh, you know, their their best classroom, and they would take me to a classroom that maybe had three uh, computers, and they were large gateway computers with the large monitors that extended back. And actually, um, from my research, those computers were discontinued back in 2005. Uh, and so <laughs> they would have, <laughs> right, they would have three computers. One of them would have, have the nerve to have an out-of-order sign on, on one of the computers. And then uh, they did something that I've just never seen before. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, an inner-city community, and, you know, a lot of times people found inventive ways to share cable uh, TV. And so what they did was they actually had spliced uh, the, the computer. So they had one CPU that actually fed the three monitors. And, and they had three different um, keyboards that, that didn't even match. And so it was even slower, and, and it was a green screen. So I, I thought I was in a Twilight Zone. I almost uh, panicked in that sense. Uh, and so and it, you think of – It's about 4,500 4, kids. Uh, yes, sir. Most in, in or near poverty, right? Yes, sir. We have about uh, 85 to 90% poverty. Um, and so we qualify for 100% for a reduced lunch. And so, for instance, even when you look at it from a from a teaching standpoint, so a third grade teacher was teaching something totally different and not even close to the standards as another third grade teacher within the same building. So there was no vertical alignment or horizontal alignment um, with with the standards. So where did you start? Well, uh, again, I came from Houston, and so it was it was more of a, uh, a shoot first and aim later type mentality. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Dr. Greer moves at a, at a fast pace. And, um, and so I came with the philosophy that, you know, I want to plant the seed in the morning. I want to be cutting the grass by noon, uh, not at the end of the day. And, you know, and it really yeah. didn't matter who put the things in place, but I want to be cutting the grass. And one of the reasons is because, you know, from the philosophy that I've developed is that, you know, children only have one time at second yeah. grade, hopefully, right? Hopefully they do. And, and we have to get it right, you know, so – what I was seeing was, you know, we will wait and we will talk about these same issues in education five or six years down the road and we haven't taken any action. So to say that is that I took a broad approach of action. I mean, I, you know, we really had to get every aspect of what we wanted to do correct. So if you can imagine that I walked into my first board meeting uh, and the principal before me, uh, I came July 28th and uh, this principal left July 17th, had ordered close to a million dollars worth of textbooks. And they were, they had already arrived and, and everybody had circled around them and was great. And I said, no, we have to take these textbooks back, all of them. And I don't know if we're going to get all our money back, but the, the textbooks are not even aligned to the standards and, and, uh, this is not what's going to help our students. So I had a, a, a revolt. I mean, I had community members, you know, marching saying, uh, we want our kids to have textbooks. We want their backpacks full of books <laughs> and all those kind of things. And, and, um, you know, from my initial assessment of our students, our students were multiple grade levels below, not one or two, but at least three or more grade levels below uh, once they once they leave past third grade. Uh, and, and I'm talking 80% of our students were. And so we, we had to think about how to personalize our learning. How do we differentiate? And, and one teacher cannot do that to differentiate on that level, that level of scale that you have so many children. Um, with holes in our learning that we caused, meaning that if a, if a child went to one third grade class and learned these set of skills that were not horizontally aligned, they go to a fourth grade class 
with another group of kids and they learn a different set of skills. And what happens is those kids will have holes in their learning that look like a Swiss cheese effect. And so it looked like those kids couldn't learn or had trouble learning, but they really lacked the fundamental um, skills to to be able to be strong uh, in their learning. So I took back the computers, um, and <laughs> we were able to invest that money uh, into having kind of a digital ecosystem, a digital environment across the board. Mind you, most people, uh, they what they do is they say, okay, let's take a, a second-grade class, or let's take a third-grade class, or let's take this building. Well, I did it district-wide. Uh, we revamped everything district-wide, and, and that was a little uh, confusing for some, but there was no way that we could decide this set of kids deserve to have a world-class education, and this set of kids need to wait uh, for the other right. kids to develop. <laughs> so, so were you able to move immediately to a one-to-one, or did you phase it in? Well, the, the phase part of it is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that we did a one-to-one at the high school uh, with okay. uh, Mac. Mac Ayers. We did a two-to-one at the middle school um, and bring your own device, and we had HPs there. And then at the elementary school, we did a two-to-one with uh, iPads. The reason why the different devices is not because I'm ADHD. is because I want to make sure that our kids not think that it's it's about the device. It's not device-specific, but that our kids learn that it's beyond the device. You know, it's about learning experiences, and, and you use those devices, devices to uh, enhance your experience and learning. Uh, and so make sure that the, when they come through our system that they have used, utilized uh, a bunch of different devices uh, and they become, um, you know, expert at, at using technology because technology is going to change. That's not going to be constant, you know. And, and so, but the utilization of technology is what's going to be constant, meaning creativity, critical thinking, you know, uh, and, and collaboration and all those kind of things. So tell us about the uh, curriculum development. It sounds like you incorporate a lot of uh, open education resources. We do. We we actually, uh, believe it or not, uh, within one year um, of not having this, we actually won an award, uh, a Digital Content and Curriculum Achievement Award, uh, from the Center for Dis- uh, Digital Education uh, in ISTE. Uh, we also were selected as one of the first uh, six national ambassadors of the OER Go Open movement by the United States Department of Education. Uh, and, and understand, you know, most people say curriculum, and I think that there's confusion, uh, and there are so many definitions of curriculum that... Uh, right. Now, I just uh, wrote I, a blog I, about that two weeks ago, so I agree. But tell us <laughs> yeah. about your, your, both your approach and, and your instructional materials. Well, what we did was we actually looked at the standards, uh, and we did kind of a backwards design. Um, and I actually worked with an outside group, an outside agency first before I, I, I got my teachers involved. I do not think that all teachers are created equal, meaning that some people actually go to school for curriculum development. And if it was that easy, um, you know, it, it, it actually wouldn't be a discipline. So there are some teachers that have it, some teachers that don't. And I think it would be unfair, you know, to try to um, – to try to have everyone develop their own curriculum because then you kind of have a, a kind of a free fall. And so I, I think, that, you know, in, in my sense, it really had to be a result from an intentional design. And what I mean by that is that we looked at the standards. We, we built the plane while flying. We got an outside group, uh, um, a consulting agency, and we developed the first nine weeks of the curriculum. And one of the things that we did was remember, so everything is new for everyone. And so, um, 
I have high expectations, but I believe that we have to have the resources to scaffold you up to those expectations. And so we actually purposely embedded OER within the lesson plan designs that we did, okay? And so when we embedded OER in it, then the, the teachers kind of started to get used to it, the kids started to get used to it. This was pre-platform. And then what we did was I, I think the best approach uh, that I would share with anyone would be the, the, the level of professional development. And so it's, we, we kind of flipped professional development on its head. Instead of doing more of a sit and get, which I believe that, you know, you have to tier it. So everybody did kind of get an opening spill. But what we did was side-by-side coaching, week on and week off. So we looked at the whole year. Just say we wanted teachers and students to be able to be proficient on uh, loading lessons on a platform and students able to access lessons and, and generate resources and, and, and uh, take assessments on a platform. So we looked at That's what we wanted at the end of the year. We did a backwards design from each month out. What does that look like six months, seven, you know, five months out, three months out? And so we did 90-day non-negotiables. Those 90-day non-negotiables, so we had side-by-side coaching one week. Uh, and so we, so 90 days, uh, I'm sorry, 30 day non-negotiables. And so from that 30 days, you know, we looked at what does it look like four weeks out, two weeks out, one week out. So we had side-by-side coaching for one week. The second week, the teachers actually practiced what was coached. And then the coaches came back. Um, when those teachers became, just to say it's, we wanted them to log onto a platform and load a lesson. After that 30 days, they were able to do it. We celebrated small success. And then we moved on to the next 30 day non-negotiable. And, Believe it or not, it, it was kind of putting the pieces together as opposed to looking at it as a whole. And come six months, teachers and students are fluent, in a sense, with technology. They didn't know how they got there, but they got there because it was more so putting the pieces together instead of doing the old approach of saying, hey, this is what we want you to do. Go to your classroom, and people don't have the support. They close their doors. They, they, they kind of do what they want to do. And so we celebrate that not those, those small success, which I think is important for, for both teachers and learners. Because uh, teachers are learners too, uh, and then we kind of moved on to the the, the next thirty days. Um, and so, for instance, it's how do you eat an elephant, you know, bit by bit, or how do you eat a giant marshmallow one piece at a time? And so that was kind of the philosophy of our professional development. But then we had what we call high flyers. So those teachers that were popping up, they were understanding, you know, they were starting to be comfortable, and they knew the culture of of the district. So we took those high flyers and we put them on the team. Because, we, one, we want to work that uh, professional development organization out of a job. But, two, we want to look at sustainability. So we took those those teachers and put them on a team. And those teachers also took did micro-credentialing. And so they learned outside of this, and they were able to get a credential. And we worked – and so those teachers first started out being the resident expert in the building when our consulting group was not there the week off. And so they were there to answer questions. But then we had to tier professional development. And so they also were kind of your tier three intervention. So those teachers who still kind of, they needed more of an intimate interaction and they wanted to stay after school. We labeled those teachers who were high flyers, we called them T3s, teachers teaching teachers. They will stay after school and work with those teachers because the mindset was it's about mastery, both children and teachers. And so if you, if you cannot do it, you just don't give up. You don't, you know, we had to learn quickly that you cannot fire your way out of it. We didn't have enough human capital for me to, to keep, you know, firing teachers and replace them. We had to build the capacity of our staff. And so right. we had those it's not, not like you have a lot of extra teachers in Columbus City, right? 
<laughs> right, right, right. And, and well, yeah, and, and the, the also the, the type of teachers that you were getting, they still had the same skills. And so, right. you know, it, and so it was about really growing adults. And, uh, you know, for me, the philosophy is if you uh, feed the teachers, they won't eat the kids. And so, you know, when teachers grow, children grow. And so it was kind of that T3 philosophy where teachers will work with, uh, you know, the, the other teachers outside of school. And then what's also important is that professional development network. So we had professional learning communities um, that will meet on Wednesdays uh, across grade level within the school building. Uh, and I think, you know, professional learning communities are, are really one to how do you really beef up generating your, your resources or, or I guess the, the colloquial term would be uh, curriculum. Uh, planning for, for kids. And so that's how we started really de- developing our, our learning experiences for children is through our professional development networks, our T3s that were on the committee. And so the next nine weeks, like I said, we were building that plane while flying, we were able to get smarter as far as what resources kids need, you know, and how do we select the appropriate platform. You are listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where Tom and Superintendent Philip Hickman from the Columbus Municipal School District in Mississippi are chatting about technology, open education resources, and the importance of professional development and support for teachers. We love chatting with innovative ed leaders in the field on our podcast about what they're working on now. So be sure to check out some of our similar podcasts, such as our Season 2, Episode 12 interview with Superintendent Patricia DeClotz, who's also using micro-credentials with teachers in her small Wisconsin district, and our Season 2, Episode 23 podcast with Seth Andrews, who worked at the U.S. Department of Education on the Future Ready Initiative, which Columbus is actually a part of. So let's get back to Tom and Dr. Hickman's conversation to hear more about how and why he chose the platform he did for his district. You picked uh, an adaptive platform called FishTree, uh, one that's been used in uh, in some CTE applications, but you're an early adopter in K-12. So how did you, uh, how and why did you um, find FishTree and, and use that for uh, your platform? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's funny. Um, Terry Neelan, the CEO, was presenting at uh, at a conference, and it, you talk about a personalized moment. I kind of took over the, the conference saying, wait a minute, are you telling me that it's adaptive, it generates resources, that it's personalized for the teacher and the student? Um, and because a lot of platforms out there, when you, you look at it from an OER perspective, is that they generate resources for the teacher. And we have to understand right. that learning learning is a journey. And that journey really has to do with the student, you know. And so for me, I needed something. If a student was driving down the road of educational learning and they turn and they're supposed to turn right and they turn left, a lot of times we don't catch them to their mouths down the road, the wrong road. Right. And so not only do we have to we have to remediate their growth, but we also have to have catch up growth because they have to catch up with those students who made the right turn and they're already mouths ahead of of those students. And so. So one of the things that history had was that adaptive component. It had kind of a a, a learning path where it, it allowed to uh, generate resources for a student when they need, you know, some more support besides that face time with the teacher. Uh, and so that has been a, a great jewel uh, within our learning environment and our structure. And I, you know, I would I would suggest it for for anyone. One of, one of the things that I think, uh, and from an OER perspective, that we really had to look at was 
making sure when I when I talked about it was you know you have to have that intentional design, uh, making sure that you still have a core basis. So we wanted to make sure that every child we knew that every child in third grade, every child in fourth grade, when they leave our district, they're going to have these set of, of learning experiences. And what what OER came in is that not only were we able to craft it for the, the culture and community of our district, but then uh, once teachers started becoming more better uh, and, and a little bit more uh, wiser as far as using OER, then they were able to always add to the curriculum. You never could take away from that, that baseline of learning, but you could add to it. Uh, and, and that was a jewel because most people don't understand in an urban community, I have a lot of first-year teachers, and, they, and it keeps rotating. So our job is to make a first-year teacher look like an eight-year teacher in one year, you know. And so it, it's fast because our, our children cannot wait. And, and so that's, that's where we had that uh, OER component. That's exciting. And what, what kind of early uh, results are you seeing? Well, uh, we, uh, we have such fast growth uh, within the, uh, the, the state had, had noticed our growth. Um, we had uh, some schools that definitely changed uh, the letter grade level. Uh, and as a district, we missed changing for the first time um, the grade level by uh, four points. And so we're, we're very optimistic. If you look at the, the growth of our students, you know, we had over 80% of our students grew uh, one or two grade levels. The, the reason why that's important is because, you know, what I have to tell our district and our, and our, and our board is that a, achievement doesn't happen without growth. And so one of the things that we have to look at, uh, if you hold us accountable for achievement, then we're going to fail you right now. But if you hold us accountable for growth, for instance, I have a, a, a group of students who are three grade levels below. So if I grew them two grade levels, then I missed the point right. to grow them three. But if you look at it like that, you will, you will call us a failure. But we look at it as reward progress. If you can grow a student from for two to three years in one year, that's a reward progress when our students are, you know, four and five uh, grade levels below as they as they get older. And how are your teachers uh, feeling about the, the new system? That's a lot of change to um, experience in two years. It's a lot of change, but uh, our teachers are, are ecstatic about it because of the support. Remember, when I, when I talked about the professional development was that side-by-side coaching. Uh, you know, we make sure that they had, they were uh, resource rich. We make sure that there's opportunity for micro-credentialing. So learning uh, happened, you know, at any spot, any space. Or those kind of things, um, and from a community standpoint, we also close the gap. What most most people forget to do when you look at changing your school digital is through having uh, the access and equity. So we put Wi-Fi on the buses, which our kids love. We turned the Wi-Fi on the schools, the buildings. We also shot them in, a, in the parking lot. So at any given time, you can see families driving or sitting in our parking lot. And, and trust me, this was one of the first times that I thought it was good to have cars in the parking lot in a high school parking lot with foggy windows because <laughs> <laughs> because you will have parents there with their students, and they will yeah. be on their devices accessing uh, Wi-Fi. We also did a, a pay for a router to put Wi-Fi in the parks. We worked in the, with the city in the park and rec. And so you can see, you know, families in parks, and they're still yeah. on our Wi-Fi system, so you, you cannot get on right. inappropriate type access. And then we also did what are called digital maps, 
And so we develop maps where everywhere in our community where there's Wi-Fi, whether it's McDonald's, Starbucks, or whether we talk to this business owner and they're willing to, to uh, allow us, allow patrons to come in and utilize Wi-Fi. And so, you know, and we also parked our, our buses in some of the communities where there's local drivers, and that Wi-Fi is still continuous, so we don't turn it off. And so right. we were able to, to close the gap and, and take away, you know, that, that access uh, and opportunity to make sure that everyone, you know, has that ability to, to access strong content and materials. That's really exciting. So, Philip, how would you recap what other ed leaders could learn from your experience in Columbus? Well, you know, I would say that you, you really need to uh, know the size of your di- district, know your community. Um, and, and I say that because everyone shouldn't, everyone should not go open or everyone should not go digital across the entire district, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, and, and so just, no, it's you know, a big risky initiative, so. Yeah, it is, it is. Now, but the other aspect is that every child that minute that, that they enter your school building deserves a high quality education. And they don't have the luxury of waiting on you to get it right. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's a balancing act, I think. Yep. Uh, I, I would definitely look at, I, I would look at the transition of going open um, yep. in, in the digital digital ecosystem. Um, I, I think that the other thing that you that we learn uh, that you have to do is is not only teach the children but the community about digital citizenship uh, because. They are the ones that eventually, uh, you know, will have to live in a, in a digital ecosystem, period. I mean, you know, every aspect of their lives. And we want to make sure, you know, for the, the future they get it right. And, and the old adage is that we have to get out of the mindset that we're not teaching kids for our past. We're teaching kids for their future. And that was scary in a small community because they felt that their kids were going to grow up and compete against the neighboring county when their kids are competing against the global society. And, and and they're already doing that now. <laughs> you know, it's not in the future. It's actually now. And so it's really, uh, you know, I would suggest that that professional development that you provide for your teachers and students, that you also provide for your community um, because that's, a, that's a, a, a big thing that you want that community to support and you want parents and, and things to have opportunity. We, we also tiered our professional development for our parents. So not only did we host you know, go to the community centers, churches, and, and hosted uh, community forums. But we train parents to be able to go to the households of those those parents that are not able to come. Because a lot of times people fault the, the, the parents, but you got to understand that we have a new generation called the working poor. And that's people that are working 18, 19 hours a day just to maintain poverty. They cannot leave their job. And so they come home at odd hours. And we have their neighbors and their friends in their, within the community that train them on how to log on and, and check your, your child's grade or how to assist your child, you know, with this digital uh, access and those kind of things. So I would suggest that that's, you know, the holistic approach uh, is there. Right. Youth and Family Services. Uh, what a What a great outline uh philip i really appreciate the approach that you've taken the sense of urgency but combining that with uh, really strong support uh for your teachers and the outreach that you've done in the community is really uh, a, a great lesson um we're really pleased that we can share your story and we'll be sharing your uh your ebook a link to that 
in our show notes. Uh, Dr. Philip Hickman, we really appreciate your work in in Columbus, Mississippi. Well, Tom, I, I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, interview and allow me to talk on your podcast. You'll find this on our iTunes channel, along with over 50 additional episodes featuring ed leaders speaking on topics ranging from adaptive learning to education policy and insights from school leaders and teachers. While you're there, be sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And we'd love it if you'd consider sharing our podcast with others via whatever social networks you use. Thanks to Dr. Philip Hickman for speaking on our podcast, to Tom for the great interview, and to Andrew Luck for mixing it all together for us. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Kat signing off.